Let's pray before we go any further. Father, thank you so much that in the darkness and the storminess of our lives, you provide for us a lighthouse, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lights the way with the truth of his word. We are so thankful that we can see him in our lives, we can see him at work, we can see him through the truth of Scripture. We are so grateful that we're in the midst of conflict, we know that this is your battle. This is your battle because this is your story. This is not about us. This is not about our country. This is not about political parties or anything else. It's about you. It's about your deep purpose for this world. You are the one who is in control. You are the one who works all things according to the purpose of your will. And no one will stand against it. You will accomplish what you have promised. I am so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that you have given us the privilege, given me the privilege to come into your throne room because of the blood of Jesus Christ and lay all of my burdens down, all of my worries, all of my cares, all of my questions. And I pray that for every person who is here this morning, every person who is listening wherever they are, that they would understand that you have given us that gracious invitation to place all of these things at your feet and to simply trust. Would you help us to do that today, Father? Would you calm our hearts? Would you quiet our minds? And would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak clearly and truly and lovingly to us this morning through your word, in Christ's name, amen. Well, I have to at least echo a little bit of Joe's thought earlier. As I watched everything that was going on in our country this week, thinking about my own reaction to it, I'll tell you what I didn't think. I didn't think, boy, this would be a great week to speak on Song of Solomon. <laughs> I, I did not, that did not cross my mind once. However... Like Joe, I know that God is far wiser than I am and that he has designed all of these things to be what they are. And I think if you will follow with me over the next few minutes, we're going to get a picture of Jesus Christ that is absolutely critical for us in this world today, in the middle of everything that's happening. Of course, we have often wondered, as we have lived our lives, especially for those of us that have lived a little bit longer than others, we've always wondered about love. What is love? How do we define it? What, is it? what does it look like? How do we know when we've found it? It's the most popular topic in the music industry. Thousands of songs have been written about love. What is love? I want to know what love is. Endless love, the power of love. You can't hurry, love. Can you feel the love tonight? Can't buy me love. Can't buy me love. 
You may be pleased to know that recently an article was written that was entitled this, Neuroscience Reveals 13 Ways to Know You Found Love. So science has reduced it to a checklist. Recently, a professional illustrator sat down with a group of five-year-olds and asked them, what does love look like? And proceeded to sketch their answers. Some of the girls, of course, were saying love looks like hugs and bubbles and fairies. One young gentleman indicated that he thought love looked like burgers and fries, which I happens to resonate with me a little bit. When he asked them, what does love feel like, one of them responded, it feels like Sprite because it tickles. Some said love was scary or it felt tingly. And one young, uh, perceptive young lady said, love is like a lollipop with a scorpion inside. <laughs> Scripture addresses the topic of love. In fact, almost every book of the Bible contains the concept of love. And there is one book that is wholly dedicated to the subject, and that is Song of Solomon. It doesn't relieve, receive a lot of attention or study and I think I know why, because if you read the book of Song of Solomon, or if you have in the past, or if you go home today and read it this afternoon, you're going to find out that there are a lot of explicitly sensual statements in this book. And in some ways, it's very uncomfortable. And that has led to two, what I perceive at least, are two extremes of interpretation, the allegorical and the literal. Now, for hundreds of years, the church has focused on the allegorical interpretation of Song of Solomon. It's a picture. None of it is literal. It's a picture of the love that Christ has for the church. The literal interpretation is that it's simply about human sexuality. I want to suggest to you today that the best way for us to interpret the book of Song of Solomon and apply it to our lives is both ways. We see both of these things here. It is both allegorical and literal. The subject of Solomon's poem is true love. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that true love does indeed exist in the earthly, physical realm and in the spiritual realm. And I think we're going to see that as we walk through here, Solomon is describing it for us. You need to remember if you read the book of Song of Solomon that it is a poem. So it's filled with very descriptive languages. language. It's filled with uh, figures of speech. There are several different speakers. They're not always announced when they change from one to the other. So it can seem kind of confusing and hard to keep track of as you look through it. But I want you to understand this this morning as we spend the next few minutes in it. And that is that... True love between a man and a woman in the earthly realm can only be found in a committed God-honoring marriage. What I also want you to see is that true love in the spiritual realm can only be seen in Christ's sacrificial love for the church and in union with him. Now, in a proper understanding of true love, there is allegory. And what, what I want us to see as we look at these verses is that the allegory goes both ways. You see the, the crowd that says, this is just a picture of God's love for the church. That's it. I think they're missing something. 
and the crowd that says, this is just about physical love between a man and a woman, I think they're missing something too. For this reason, that when a man and a woman love each other in a God-honoring marriage, it pictures the love that Christ has for the church. And when we look at the love that Christ has for the church, it pictures for us the kind of love that should exist in a God-honoring marriage. We're going to see it go both ways. Song of Solomon chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, if you're following along this morning, I want to read these two verses for you. Solomon says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. I want us to see four things here about true love. Please follow as we walk down through. Here's the first one. True love is permanent. True love is permanent. Now, Solomon says here, love is a seal on your arm or your heart. The word seal is literally the word for signet ring. Now, back in the old days, before you had photo ID with a little RFID card in it that they can scan, there were signet rings. And a signet ring identified you as belonging to someone or to some group. I think that's what Solomon is saying here. This love, true love, is permanent, and it carries with it the idea of belonging. Now, that's not very popular today. If we look at human love and relationships, the idea of belonging is is not widely acknowledged. Why? Because we want to say, we want to maintain our independence. We want to say, I don't belong to anyone. Even if you're in a marriage or even if you're in a relationship, I don't belong to anyone. I'm my my own person. Ironically, deep in our hearts, what we want more than anything is security. And security only comes with belonging. Years and years ago, this is before my time, maybe not before some of your time, but before my time, If you were dating a girl in high school, what did you give her? Your letterman's jacket, right? You see, uh, you ever watch Happy Days? Did anybody ever watch Happy Days? Laverne and Shirley. What were they doing? They were wearing their boyfriend's letterman's jacket. Why? What were they saying? What was the star quarterback of the high school football team saying? He was saying, she belongs to me. Now, again, I know that's not very hip. I know it's not very modern. I know it's not, not uh, like to be talked about these days, but that's what we did. Why? Belonging, security. That's what we long for is that kind of security. When Melody and I started dating in high school, I gave her my grad ring, and she wore it on a chain around her neck. Why? Because I wanted people to know she was my girlfriend. Now, You know my wife, many of you. She's an independent lass. And so, you know, it's not like I steamrolled her or anything. But not only did I want people to know she was my girlfriend, amazingly, 
she wanted people to know as well that I was her boyfriend. Solomon says, love is as strong as death. What does that mean? Well, nothing says romance like death. <laughs> love is strong as death. What is he talking about? The word strong means mighty or fierce. How strong, how mighty, how fierce is death? Well, it's so strong that every person succumbs to it eventually, no matter who they are. In fact, aside from Jesus Christ, of course, who is God, love is, or death is undefeated over thousands of years. Solomon is simply saying that true love is a bond that has incredible strength. True love is permanent. Now, of course, we must realize that in a marriage relationship, this is not automatic. Of course, we know that many marriages end in divorce. We must make decisions that create this permanent bond of love. Notice what he says there in that verse. How does he say it? He says, set me as a seal. Set me as a seal. That's, that's a deliberate action. It's a deliberate choice. This is permanent. This is our decision. 27 and a half years ago when Melody and I were anticipating marriage as we were preparing ourselves for it, talking about it, making our plans, getting ready for our wedding, we had a conversation one day and we made a decision. We said we are never going to speak of divorce. We believe that God has brought us together. We love each other. This is it. It's you and me for life. And we made that commitment. Now, does that mean that it's always been roses? No, of course not. But we made the determination that when things were difficult and they inevitably will be, there would only be one option. We've got to figure this out. God has got to strengthen us and give us the wisdom that we, may, that we need in order to make this last. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 1 when he says this. In Christ, you also... When you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were what? Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, that's exactly the way that Christ's love works for us. When we trust Jesus Christ, what does he do? He seals us with the Holy Spirit in a bond that is unbreakable. He is the guarantee. See the allegory both ways, my friends. When I love my wife with a true love that is permanent, I am picturing for those around me the love that Christ has for us that never changes. And when I look into the scripture and I see that Christ's love for me never changes, that challenges me to love my wife in the same way. Do you see it? Going both ways, back and forth. Here's the second thing. Number one, true love is permanent. Here's the second one. True love is intense. <laughs> if you've ever been in love before, you know what I'm talking about. 
True love is intense. Notice what Solomon says here. Its flashes are flashes of fire. Love has incredible power. It provides incredible motivation. Now that power can be either good or bad. Love can motivate us to do incredible things. Sometimes love motivates us to do things that are out of our character. Melody and I have known each other for 38 years. And I remember our first conversation. I had just moved with my family to New Brunswick. Our school year was done because we were coming from Maine. They were still in school. And we had just literally unpacked the U-Haul. Our family stuff moved into the place we were staying. And the first thing off the back of the truck, literally tied onto the back, were our bicycles. And we took those off. My dad took those off. And we unloaded. And I was sitting on my bike in the middle of the yard when the bus drove in from school. And all the kids that lived there on the campus where we grew up got off the bus. I'm sure Tim got off the bus there. I didn't know who he was at the time, so. I didn't pay any attention to him <laughs> because I saw this girl getting off the bus and she walked right by me as I was sitting on my bicycle and our first conversation was her asking me what my average was in school. I'm an incredibly competitive person, and so is my beautiful wife. I knew exactly what my average was, and she knew exactly what hers was. And we compared notes, and then she went her way. And I thought, ooh, hmm, this is interesting. We became very good friends, and we competed against each other. And one evening when we were 16 or 17, we were over in the gym on campus with a bunch of our friends, Tim included. I knew him by this point, so I, I was paying attention to him now. And we were playing something, either basketball or floor hockey or something, I don't remember which, and because of my competitiveness, I used to kind of get myself in trouble sometimes and respond angrily or have outbursts and all this kind of thing. Very, very immature. I understand that now. I'm 50. I was 16. I was learning. The game ended, and I grabbed my stuff, and I headed out of the gym to walk home, and Melody followed me out of the gym. Her house was the same direction that mine was. I had to walk by her house to get to mine. And as we walked across the yard, she proceeded to tell me just how ridiculously immature I was. She was right, of course, but I didn't want to hear it. And we argued all the way to her house, and we stood in her driveway, and she lit me up. And I pushed back. I was angry, and she was angry. And as we stood there in the driveway and argued, all of a sudden a light came on. And I took two steps toward her and I kissed her. And that was the first time we ever kissed. It lasted about a half a second. She looked at me, turned around and walked into her house. <laughs> and as my recollection didn't talk to me for about two days. Love is intense. Flashes are flashes of fire. It can motivate us to do things that are out of our character. That was way, 
way out of my character, I promise you. It causes intense arguments, but it also causes us to sacrifice in other ways in which we would never dream of. One commentator calls it friendship on fire. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 15 and verse 13 when he said it this way, greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Folks, Christ's love for you and I is so intense that he sacrificed his very life so that we could live. God's love is not some namby-pamby, mushy-gushy thing. It's not philosophical. It's not imaginary. It's real, and it's intense, and it drove him to the cross to shed his blood for us. See the allegory both ways. When I see Christ's sacrifice and his love for me, it causes me to want to sacrifice for my wife. And when I give my life for the one that I love, others should see in me the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Here's number three. True love is unquenchable. Notice that Solomon says, many waters cannot quench love, neither floods drown it. I will say this for those of you who are married or those of you who aspire to be married, that nothing less than friendship on fire will carry you through this life. Because the floods will come. Difficulty floods our lives. Pain, heartache, grief floods our lives. Men, will you care for your wife when she cannot care for herself? Ladies, will you forgive your husband when he wrongs you? Pain will come. Heartache will come. Some of it we cause ourselves. Some of it we bring on ourselves. And some just comes because that's how life works. But will your love last? I read a story this week from a newspaper in New Zealand from about five years ago. A gentleman was a husband to his wife of 38 years, but began to struggle with Alzheimer's and dysphoria, began to lose his ability to remember, began to lose some of his power of speech. And in the confusion of all that he struggled with, with his illness, he forgot that he and his wife were married. But he knew that he loved her, and he was an honorable man, and so one day at breakfast, he got down on his knee and asked his wife if she would marry him. <laughs> As she recounted the story to her friend, she said, I couldn't say we're already married, because clearly he had forgotten. So I decided to say, yes, honey, I will marry you, thinking that he would just forget anyway. 
The next morning he came to breakfast and said, so when are we doing this? We got to get married. We can't live like this. And so they set about planning a wedding ceremony. Now to her friends, she explained the situation, but to him, it was like he was marrying her for the first time. And in their case, even the floodwaters of illness could not quench their love for each other. This is what Paul is talking about in the spiritual realm in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, when he says, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can quench God's love for us. It would be easy for us to see what's happening in our world today and say, God has forgotten us. No, friends, the exact opposite is true. God loves us as much as he ever has, and he holds us closely, and nothing that happens around us can ever quench that, can ever separate us from God's love. What have we been talking about as we've gone through these Old Testament books? What did we talk about in Isaiah? We saw that God had promised that his son would come and reign over this earth. And what did that passage say at the end? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Don't listen to any voice that's out there today telling you that this is all hopeless. Don't listen to any voice that says, we're going to tear all this down and we're going to destroy everything, including the church. Don't listen to that. Because God has promised to the contrary that nothing will separate us from his love. Could this world continue to spiral and go down the tubes? Yes, it can. And ultimately, we know God's word says it will. But for those of us whom Christ loves, my friends, it's only victory for us. Because there is something far greater than this world that is to come. True love is unquenchable. Lastly, we see at the end of verse 7 that true love is priceless. Verse 7b says, If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Right smack in the middle of my high school career, a classic movie was released, 1987, Can't Buy Me Love. Starring our very own Patrick Dempsey, by the way. When he was nerdy, before he became steamy or dreamy or whatever he is. Nerdy Patrick Dempsey, right? The whole story of the movie is that he is madly in love with a cheerleader who doesn't even know he exists. And on his little lawnmower, he goes around town and mows people's lawns and makes all kinds of money and promises to pay off a debt that she could not afford if she agrees to be his girlfriend for one month. Not necessarily suggesting that you waste two hours of your afternoon watching it, but if you were to do that, you would find out that he understood and realized and learned that you can't 
by love. It just doesn't work that way. Not true, permanent, intense, unquenchable love. You can't buy it. But when you build it together, it's priceless. That's what Solomon is saying. It's worth more than anyone's net worth. If he offered all the wealth of his house, that's what it means, your whole net worth, everything that you own, you still couldn't buy it. What my wife has done for me over the last 27 years, I could not buy. Her faithfulness to me, her love for me, her standing with me, doing this for the past 27 years, not an easy life for her. But knowing that it's what God had called me to do and caring for me and caring for people together with me, I can't put a price tag on that. It's exactly what the writer to the Hebrews was talking about in the spiritual realm in Hebrews 10, 10, when he says, we have all been sanctified by the offering of the body of Christ once for all. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Folks, the Israelites spent literally millions of dollars over thousands of years offering bulls and goats and lambs and birds and everything else. And just once Christ offered himself and paid the whole thing. How priceless, how valuable is Christ's love for us. Can you see the allegory both ways? When I love my wife with everything that I have and I recognize what she has given me has no value, in the same way it pictures Christ's love for us upon which there can be no price. True love between a man and a woman And the earthly realm can only be found in a committed God-honoring relationship. True love in the spiritual realm can only be seen in Christ's sacrifice and love for the church in union with him. True love is permanent, intense, unquenchable, priceless. Men, is that how you're loving your wife? Wives, is that how you love your husbands? If you aren't married... But you aspire to be, this is true love. This is what you should be searching for and praying for. But every one of us is invited to enjoy the purest, most perfectly fulfilling love of all. The unending love of Jesus Christ. This is what John is talking about in 1 John 4 when he says, this is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice, the payment for our sins. I hope you have experienced that kind of love. If you haven't, Jesus Christ offers himself to you, offers this love for you. If you are experiencing that love in your life, then my question is, how are you responding to it? How do you respond to the love that God has given you? What action does it prompt in your life? Just a few minutes ago, I read for you John 15, 13, where Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Can I just read you the verse immediately before that? 
John 15, 12, listen to what he says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. What does Jesus command to us? Jesus' command to you is this, love like I love. Love other people like I love you. How did Christ love you? He loved you by sacrificing everything for you. He made you more important than himself. Folks, as we see what's happening all around us, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to care for people like never before. People are searching. People are hurting. They're looking for hope in this dark world. They're, they're, they're hearing all the voices from this world saying, this is bad, this is gloom, this is over. It's only going to be darker. It's only going to get worse. They need hope. And Christ calls us to love others sacrificially the way that he has loved us. Are we willing to do that for others that he has done for us? That's why we're going to end our service this morning by singing this song, that we might be willing to lay our lives down for those around us. Would you stand with us and sing this morning as we close? Thank you, guys. So the question we leave here with is, with is this. Will you do it? Are you willing to sacrifice for those that are around you so that others can know of the true love of Jesus? That's what true love is. True love is sacrifice. Will you do it? Who is in your life right now that needs to know the love of Jesus? I'm sure there's someone. Ask God what he is asking you to do. What is he asking you to give so that they might know his love and grace? Father, thank you so much for the truth of the word of God. Thank you for the book of Song of Solomon. Thank you for giving us this wonderful picture of what love should look like in marriage, but also what Christ's love looks like to us. As we walk out of here and into our communities, I pray that we might see those around us who need what only you can give. And I pray that you will show us the ways that we can give so that they might know that love. May they know your grace and may those of us, Father, who love you, who are walking with you, may we trust you each day. Remind us that Jesus Christ stands over this world and that nothing that happens can thwart your purpose. All things are in your hands and we are in your hands. You have sealed us by your spirit and nothing will break that bond. Thank you for that reminder, Father. Give us courage and strength as we go from here, in Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great week. <laughs>